Good evening and welcome to Eye on the Triangle. It's February 28th and I'm Nick Savage. And I'm Jake Langlois. We thank you for tuning in. It is our last show before spring break and as the pressure from midterms and fall scheduling mounts, let's all just hang on for a few more days. This week is all about smoking and what students around campus have to say about it, as well as an interview with a student senator that tried to have smoking banned on campus. More on that later. In addition, we have coverage of the upcoming Greek step-off, the Andre Jones chronicles the problem of torture in America, and maybe a little extra thrown in for fun. As always, Dave is back with Community Calendar and the holidays of the week. But first, we turn to Katie Costa for the weather. How's it looking, Katie? Well, Nick, we have been seeing temperatures climb since this past week, and we will continue to see warmer temperatures for the remainder of the work week. Today, we saw highs in the mid-60s with mostly sunny skies, and tonight we will see lows in the lower 40s. Tomorrow will be warmer with highs peaking into the upper 60s with cloudy skies. We have a chance of showers tomorrow afternoon as a cold front makes its way across the triangle. But our rain chances will be greatest in the evening hours, so be sure to carry a rain jacket with you if planning on heading out tomorrow night. Now, despite the rain, the good news is is that tomorrow evening we will stay fairly warm with lows in the upper 50s. Thursday looks like the warmest day this week with highs reaching into the upper 70s with mostly sunny skies. It's the perfect day to get outside and catch some sun. Thursday evening will be cooler with lows in the mid-40s and clear skies. Friday will be cooler with highs in the upper 60s, and we do have a chance of rain once again in the afternoon and evening. Expect temperatures to dip down into the mid-50s overnight on Friday. Saturday, we have our chance for some stormy weather, so be on the lookout for any watches or warnings that may be issued across the triangle. Overall, we will see highs in the low 70s and lows in the lower 40s. Now, we will be clear... By Sunday, making way for beautiful sunny skies and highs in the lower 60s. Sunday night will be the coldest night we have seen in a while, with lows dipping down into the mid-30s. So, Nick, I don't know about you, but I am really looking forward to seeing temperatures in the upper 70s this Thursday. That sure will be nice, Katie. Next, let's turn to Jake for the latest in the news. Thanks, Nick. Today was primary day in Arizona and Michigan, and as the polls come to a close, the the rivalry between Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum is as intense as ever. Many have called the race literally too close to call. And as of Monday, the New York Times reported Mitt Romney likely to win 38.7% of the vote against the 38% Rick Santorum is likely to win. Mr. Santorum has enjoyed a large surge, while Mr. Romney has taken criticism in recent days for a series of gaffes alienating potential voters. An investigation continues tonight into a school shooting in Ohio that left three people dead. Suspect T.J. Lane appeared in court today in a preliminary hearing where he admitted to, fire, to firing randomly at victims as he rampaged through the Chardon, Ohio, school Monday morning. Lane's rampage claimed the lives of three teenagers, all aged 16 or 17. State prosecutors have until next Monday to charge the Ohio teen. The Pentagon today released a report that admits to the dumping of portions of remains of 9-11 victims into a landfill. According to the report, remains that could not be identified were incinerated and leftover, leftover remains were then dumped into a Virginia landfill. This comes after revelations that the Air Force had disposed of partial remains of troops killed in Iraq and Afghanistan in landfills between 2003 and 2008. Records do not go back before 2003, although reports claim the practice started shortly after the September 11th attacks. Finally, in economics tonight, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 13,000 for the first time today since May of 2008. The S&P 500 is trading at its highest point since June of 2008, and the Nasdaq is trading at its highest point since December of 2000. While not in themselves important, these numbers signify an important psychological milestone as people begin to see signs of an an improving economy. And for an international perspective, we turn to DeAndre Jones. Thanks, Jake. First, although many people may not know this, we are nearing the one-year anniversary of Fukushima, Japan, getting hit by a tsunami. It's the smallest details in the before and after photographs from Fukushima in northeastern Japan that are the most telling. A year later, there's not one power pole, wall mounts, and gas meter, 
or a roadside curb that hasn't been meticulously attended to. Almost as if a giant hand cleared the twisted debris, straightened the paving, and fixed the bent and broken pipes, what remains in the worsted areas are well-manicured expanses of nothingness. Where industrious fishing towns once stood are empty streetscapes that resemble vast car parks. In some places, just the foundations, also looking swept and groomed, are the only things left to tell the story of the worst post-war catastrophe to hit Japan. In human terms, the earthquake and tsunami killed 15,848 people, and a further 3,305 people are still listed as missing, according to the latest Japanese police figures. Shelters are still struggling to accommodate the 341,411 evacuees from the immediate disaster and the subsequent nuclear crisis at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. Next, as the total death toll in Syria climbed past 7,500, according to UN estimates, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said Syrian President Bashar al-Assad could be tried for war crimes. However, Clinton said Tuesday, pursuing charges against al-Assad might hinder efforts to persuade him to cede power. The United Nations has credible reports that the death toll now often exceeds 100 civilians a day, including women and children. The total, the total is certainly well over 7,500. Opposition activists and world leaders believe thousands of Syrians have died since March in a sustained government crackdown on dissenters. At least 102 people, including three women, three women and two children, were killed across Syria on Tuesday alone. Finally, last week the U.S. point man for talks on North Korea, Glenn Davis, met with his North Korean counterparts for the first time since the death of, of Korean leader Kim Jong-il and the subsequent transfer to, to, of power to his son Kim Jong-un. The talks were aimed at reviving a proposal to exchange U.S. nutritional aid to North Korea for a halt to, to Poingang's uranium enrichment program. The prospective deal was expected to lead to the, to the resumption of disarmament talks between the two countries, along with China, South Korea, Russia, and Japan, and to, and to more extensive quantities of food aid for North Korea. An announcement had been slated for the week Kim died, but was delayed to give the new regime a chance to, group, to regroup. That's all we've got going internationally. Now back to Nick. Thanks, DeAndre. Historically, tobacco has been one of the biggest cash, tro- cash crops here in the Tar Heel State. There's a common saying that tobacco built North Carolina, and whether you agree with that statement or not, tobacco's influence on the state is undeniable. From the Tobacco Historic District in Durham to the American Tobacco Trail, it's played a large role in our history, including right here in NC State. Now, some student senators want to ban smoking on our campus. Our contributor, Andrew, recently sat down with a senator that introduced this bill. I'm speaking with Josh Tedder, the freshman student senator who has made waves in the past weeks by introducing a resolution to ban smoking on campus. The bill met immediate controversy and has brought into debate the power and duty of student government, but has also received praise from those who see smoking as a public nuisance. Good to have you, Josh. Good to be here, Andrew. When did you get the idea for this bill? I got the idea for this bill when I first came on NC State's campus. I was walking around, enjoying all the bricks, you know, taking everything in, and I noticed that smoking was very prevalent on campus, and especially around the outside of buildings is where I noticed it most, which was a little unnerving to me since smoking, especially, you know, especially smoking and secondhand smoke is a public health concern, and that's where I got the idea for the bill. Also, I talked to other people who came on our campus as well as fellow senators, uh, friends, and they all seem to have some of the same feelings I felt about it. Smoking is currently prohibited at NC State within 25 feet of any building, but this law is unenforced. What do you propose we should do? Well, what we originally proposed was a ban on smoking, which legally 
we can't do as a university. We can only regulate smoking outdoors within 100 feet of a building. And anyone who's been to our campus or who goes on our campus knows that the 25-foot rule is it's not enforced. It's not a very good policy. And what we proposed to do was to amend our bill and go ahead and give students the maximum health protection we can do under the current law, which would be to ban smoking within 100 feet of buildings. But that that does create a little bit of a legal gray area there, because technically if you ban smoking from 100 feet from buildings, those 100-foot radiuses run into each other, and essentially it would be basically a smoking ban with a couple of areas on campus that you can smoke. Again, right now the bill is sitting in committee and has to stay in committee until we meet with administrators on campus to go over uh, the policies and see what their views are and see where those areas are if we did move it out to 100 feet where students could smoke. Now, some of my other senators on my committee have suggested spending university dollars and resources and money into go ahead and enforcing the current 25-foot rule, which isn't exactly what I would say the intent of my bill was for. However, any improvement to the status quo would be a good thing for our students in the end. What problems in opposition has the bill faced so far? First, uh, technically it's illegal. Uh, we are not allowed to ban smoking campus-wide unless we lobbied the Board of Governors and state legislature to give us full control over outdoor smoking, which will probably be in the future of our university. And it's funny, it's even on the Board of Governors' public agenda for their next legislative session next year. It says, authorize campuses to prohibit smoking in public places. So even before my bill was written and came up and had this huge controversy about it, the Board of Governors was already thinking about giving campuses more control. So that's one problem that we've run into. Also, obviously, smokers are not very happy about it. Um, A lot of them feel that they can smoke wherever they want on the university grounds. And a lot of other people also feel that a ban goes too far, that maybe we could just do designated smoking areas around campus and then ban smoking everywhere else except in those designated areas. The problem with that is that is also technically illegal. We can only regulate smoking within 100 feet of buildings. So it does limit the university quite a bit to what we can actually do about the problems of smoking because many students will agree that there are certain places on our campus where smoking is very prevalent and it is a problem, especially in tunnels where you're stuck behind someone smoking and you're breathing in all these toxic fumes and you can't really get around them because the tunnels are so tight and enclosed. Um, Also, people just walking around campus smoking. A lot of people don't stop in an area, smoke, and they spread uh, and expose a lot more people when they just walk around our campus. There are those who see efforts to regulate smoking as an issue of public liberty. What is your response? My response would be, technically, it's not up to student government to decide that. That has already been decided by law, current court cases. If you look at the Constitution, technically smokers are not protected under the Equality Clause or the Privacy or Civil Liberties Clauses um, in the Constitution. However, smokers can be protected at a statewide level, which our state has done. In 1993, they passed a law saying you cannot ban smoking in certain areas, specifically outdoors and even indoors at that point in 1993. They're still 
areas um, in the state legislature where you could smoke indoors in 1993. That, of course, has been chipped away at in the past couple of years, especially in 2006, 2007. The Board of Governors lobbied the North Carolina state legislature to allow the UNC system schools to regulate smoking and ban it indoors as well as regulate it outdoors, as well as our community colleges also lobbied the state legislature, and they are actually allowed to ban smoking. Currently, 32 out of the 68 community colleges in North Carolina ban tobacco products campus-wide. They are 100% tobacco-free, which also leads our state. North Carolina is the number one leading state in tobacco-free campuses nationwide. When people respond to this bill telling me about tobacco and our history and I tell them that, they're they're very shocked by that. And it is a shocking factor. Another thing that a lot of people would be surprised about is our university does keep tabs on uh, percentage of smokers and different health issues within our university. The American College Health Association and National College Health Assessment um, did surveys in 2009 and it turns out about – it comes to about 15 percent of our students on our campus have either used cigarettes in the past one to nine days, 10 to 29 days, or they've used cigarettes all 30 days. So only about 15% of our college students here at NC State are regular smokers. Most people have maybe smoked. It's comes to 21% of our students have used cigarettes before, but not in the last 30 days, and 63.8% of our students have never used cigarettes, period, according to this study that was done in 2009. You touched on this briefly, but I'll just ask you to state your views. Tobacco has had an obvious influence on North Carolina throughout its history. Do you see smoking as still an element of our state culture? I think smoking is an element of our state's culture. Currently today as well was definitely... uh, in our past, uh, you can't dispute the fact that our university was built and helped funded by the tobacco industry. However, we can't let our history blind us from the medical evidence and scientific evidence about the harm and dangers of smoking. Smoking is the number one preventable death in the United States. Also, there, according to the Surgeon General in 2006, there is no safe level of secondhand smoke exposure, period. Outdoors or indoors, that's period. Toxic chemicals are toxic chemicals. So I I think looking forward for the state of North Carolina, it's clear one of our cow senators talking to his constituents has found that if you talk to farmers, although they're somewhat optimistic about tobacco, tobacco in the state still is on a slight decline currently. It's on the decline nationwide. But as far as looking at our state, of course, agriculture is always going to be important to North Carolina. It's one of the things that has made North Carolina great, and it will continue to make us great, not necessarily the specific product of tobacco. And also, if you look at Research Triangle Park, this area, Charlotte, the metropolitan areas are driving tons of businesses to North Carolina. We are one of the most business-friendly states in the entire U.S., So that's where our future is looking forward. I would not say it is necessarily in the specific crop of tobacco. In agriculture as a whole, yes, as well as business and research and science and engineering, of course. Josh Tedder talking about his efforts to regulate smoking on campus. Thanks for being here, Josh. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Now, I'm a fella with a heart of gold with the ways of a gentleman, I've been told. The kind of a fella that wouldn't even harm a flea. But if me and a certain character met, the guy that invented the cigarette, I'd murder that son of a gun in the first degree. 
Our contributor Grant Buckner recently went out to see how students feel about smoking on our campus. Here's a little bit of what they had to say. But nicotine slaves are all the same at a patent party or a poker game. Everything's got to stop while they have that cigarette. Smoke, smoke, smoke that It doesn't really bother me. I'm not a smoker. It stinks for us to be behind someone, especially walking through a tunnel or behind someone. It's like, ugh. What do you guys think about no smoking policy on campus? Smoking on campus is fine with me. It doesn't really bother me. Kind of is annoying when it gets in your face. and uh, I don't really have a problem with it unless they're blowing it in your face. As long as they're away from me and not blowing it in my face. I don't like it when people blow it in my face while I'm walking to class. The only problems I have is when I'm walking to class and it's blowing in my face. As long as it's not inside a building or anything, it's not really affecting anyone else. Then didn't raise the bed. Personally, well, I hate the smell of it. My parents smoke, and I can't stand the smell of it. So if I, like, bike through a cloud of smoke, it kind of makes me a little sick to my stomach. Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Oh, oh, I'm smoking all day long. <laughs> it's not, it don't, I don't think it bothers anybody. It's not outside. Good way to relieve stress in between classes. Everyone needs a cigarette. I think it's stupid. I don't think they should ban it on campus. It doesn't. I don't see the big problem in somebody smoking. I think designated areas would be okay, but I live on tobacco farms, so it'd be kind of hypocritical for me to say no smoking and grow it. I think students should be free to smoke outside. As long as it's 25 feet away from buildings. Um, I think it's more so the policy needs to be enforced. That's the larger trend that I've seen. I just gotta have another cigarette. Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Frying the Triangle, I'm Grant Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. You just gotta have another cigarette. All right, we're going to take a quick air break, so stick around. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Nick Savage. I'm Jake. We have DeAndre here, right? Hey, guys. Yeah, that's me. We also got Jay and Andrew. Howdy. And Dave. Hello. Uh, So basically, for a lot of us here, Disney movies played a big part in our childhood. So I took the liberty of making a nice uh, top ten list of Disney movies here, and I just I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. So... Number 10, I'm going to say, is Pocahontas. Yes. Awesome movie. Well, let's see. I think it's great because of Colonel, uh, the governor. I forgot his name, but he had the best purple suit I've ever seen. So that, that right there gets a thumbs up. Well, I'd like to point out the movie isn't historically accurate. So I mean, there's more to a movie than the historical accuracy, though. I mean, I, like, it had a really good soundtrack, though. There was lots of good music in there. I just like the suit. I think it's sort of a silly film but i do like paint with all the colors of the wind that's a great song but the number 10 spot mm, i don't think so number 10 i mean okay whatever fine number nine i have tarzan that was a pretty good movie except like there was that what was the guy's name with the shotgun it was a big guy with the tiny mustache Psh, i don't know he was, do you guys remember he was pretty no, cool no. he was a jerk 
I thought, I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. You know, it had a lot to do with like humans being bad people and stuff like that. But I thought, you know. That seems to be a reoccurring theme in Disney movies. Right. Again, good music and stuff. You know, Phil Collins can't go wrong. Well, you know, surprisingly, I actually agree with that one. I I watched that about three times a day. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really like that movie. Uh, I wouldn't put it in the top 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd probably substitute that for uh, Punchback and Notre Dame or something. Mm. Mm, That was pretty good, though. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it did freak me out a little bit. I don't know. Why, I didn't watch that one more than about once. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being scared of that that scene where he was on the uh, whatever that thing that rotated was, oh, and they were scary all scary wheel. They were they freaked they were, me out. Yeah, the fruit at him and all that stuff. I don't know if I cried. I, don't, I can't remember. <laughs> that was that was kind of scary. <laughs> My mom took me to see Hercules when I was four, and I was under the impression we were going to see that movie, and Hercules scared scared me half to death, and I, I didn't watch it again for like ten years. Alrighty, so at number eight, I have I put Hercules. I mean, oh, okay classic. then, perfect. Yeah, that movie perfect scared segue. me. Yeah, I actually never saw that movie. I've actually come to love it recently. It's I really like uh, again music. It's awesome. I mean, you got yeah. Zero the Hero in there. You got Go the Distance. I mean, Absolutely. classic yeah. songs. It had a great, great music. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that movie. It'd definitely be my top five or three. I, I was five when I went to see it in the movie theater. I remember seeing it and just I like being one of my most favorite movies. So we, we can agree that this definitely belongs in the top ten. Uh, sure. Once again, I've never seen it. <laughs> DeAndre, you've never seen you've never seen Hercules. I've never seen Hercules. Come on, you, you didn't grow up in the nineties. Like what is this? Okay, I like to remind you that it's not my fault because I didn't have control over the movies that I saw when I was like six. So. Uh, I guess that's a, that's a good point. Though. I guess it was too violent for DeAndre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, next no, number seven, I have Peter Pan. That was yes. an okay movie. I mean, yeah, it was okay. I liked it. Song about the clock or whatever. Mr. Sneed. Oh, love him. He was <laughs> you know, good. You know, seeing the lasting effects that it has on children today, um, I don't I don't think it should be on here. Because, for example, my girlfriend thinks that because of Peter Pan, she should be uh, a kid forever. So, yeah. Well, quite frankly, a lot of... Half the Disney movies out there scared people as children. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> it All right. Oh, yeah. Racist portrayal of Native Americans. So. Wait, you mean Peter Pan does? Yeah, yeah. Oh, does it? Okay. <laughs> but, you have to keep but, that in mind. I'm sorry, Pocahontas does not. No, no, Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Less less racist. Maybe. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, number six, I put Lion King. I mean, that's they made they made it into a into a Broadway musical. Gonna, it's, it's amazing. I saw disagree with you, big time. Uh, I would that? put it as number one really? on my list. I agree. Sure? I agree. I actually have a tough time between that and Toy Story. Toy Story's um, up there. Though. You get you know, wait later in the list. We got Toy Story. I think Story, they're both but... great, though. Uh, I, I don't know. I think Lion King's just a big classic. I think you really uh, put it low there on the list. It's a pretty good interpretation of Shakespeare's Hamlet, too. Let's keep that in mind. That's yeah. A, oh yeah, we did, we, we did that in senior year, right? <laughs> yeah. In high school. Considering that so many like so many people have analyzed that movie, I think I think it definitely has deserved a higher spot on this list. Well, yeah, I think of the traditionally animated. That's probably one of the best. I guess. I mean, you know, whatever. You know, Sorry. honestly, I saw the Broadway show about was it maybe ten years ago now, and honestly, I like the Broadway show. It was amazing. Dude, that was amazing. Did you see the way they like did the, the animals and stuff? I mean, it's just something to see. I, I, I'm sorry, it's, yeah, that's but, really vague. But my point was, I like it better than the movie itself. I like the Broadway show better than the movie. Itself. All right, so up at number five, I put Monsters Inc. 
I love that movie. Yep. Yes. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Pixar. I, I, I like the movie, but I don't know. I wouldn't put it that high. No? I mean, not, not at five. Mike Wazowski. No, I'll put it in the top ten. <laughs> I'd put it higher. I'll put I'd put it in the like top number ten. Three. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it is pretty good. It definitely had the perfect blend of like of like alarming scariness, but also really funny parts too. I, the thought of a of a monster coming in my room and I just scared the crap out of me. Well, I mean, you know, and as a kid, that's kind of something that was always like, oh my gosh, what if there's monsters in my closet? Well, you know what I love most about the movie is the soundtrack. I just the jazz. I mean, it's it's awesome. I really appreciated the voice acting by John Goodman and Billy Crystal. <laughs> they made a good pair. I'm watching you. All right, um, <laughs> number four, I put Cars. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. I know you guys. You, you, no, I, I don't know why you put that. Are you serious? <laughs> when did that come out? Like 2004. It's, I mean, okay, I, mean, I can't necessarily say it's a classic, but it's. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was no, good. And especially like they released Cars two, and I think that was the first time you saw Pixar actually sell out. They made a movie specifically for the toys and to sell for kids, and that's really, I think, yeah, that's true. A big no no for Pixar. Like, don't do that. Toy Story I liked, two. I like the first three. Cars though. I like the first. I one. thought it was okay. It wasn't the greatest. Owen Wilson's a great actor, so I appreciate anything he's in. Uh, okay. I actually really like Owen Wilson. Okay. Once again, I've never seen Cars. DeAndre. <laughs> oh, DeAndre. We got, we got to sit down. <laughs> because I'm part of the show, too. <laughs> we got to sit down and show you all these movies. Come on. All right. Up at number three, uh, I put Mulan. Um, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in like 10 years. I don't yeah, really I remember. Seen it. Oh, come on. Several years, I just get down to biz. I remember, I, mean, I remember Eddie Murphy as a dragon or a lizard or something, and that's about it. That's yeah, yeah. First of all, he was a dragon. Whatever. Yeah, he was a dragon. Second of all, that movie was perfect in every single way, shape, and form. No, I don't, I don't think it was that great. No. <laughs> I don't. I disagree, once again. You know, considering it's cameo, cameo in the game Kingdom Hearts, which is also <laughs> awesome. You know? Wait, okay, that's, that's something. Just, but at three, I don't know, I think, maybe I not think, three, but it definitely deserves to be in this top ten. I mean, list. but okay, I, it just comes back to me back into the music thing where it's like, oh, such a good soundtrack. Nick, is this a top ten soundtrack? I'm sorry, list, maybe it is. Top ten that's movie just, list. It has to. Matters <laughs> <laughs> a lot plot, to though. me. It's got a good plot. All right, now all right. I'm sure this is this is pretty agreed. But number two, I have Toy Story. No, that's number one. That is number one. Actually, I actually made a list and I put it at two. Oh, did you? Number two? What was your number one though? It was Lion King. Oh, uh, right. You said that already. (laughs) (laughs) This tops my list of movies all time, so I have to disagree with you at number two and put it at number one. All right, all right. I can respect that. I mean, Toy Story one, two, and three were all amazing. That's true. So, what what order would you rank them, Jake? Probably Toy Story three, then two, then one. Actually, because I really enjoyed really? Toy Story. Yes, I think I'd Toy say... Story one's better than three. Three was good, but you know, one's the first one. The classic, very hard to be the first one. Three made me cry. I never cried during movies. <laughs> okay. well, I think it made a lot, of, a lot <laughs> I mean, of people our age that grew up with the first Toy Story. It was, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, definitely. when we're. Well, reaching I mean, an adulthood. That movie came out. Yes, and he it grew was up uh, really with close Andy, to us. guys. That movie came out in June of 2010, and he's going away to college, and I'm sitting there having just graduated. I'm like, oh that my was goodness. Us. They, they released <laughs> it. We grew up of with course, Andy. When you this know, is, the this, relate to us. So. Yeah. So this is now a debate about which Toy Story is better. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So, so I think we all one. agree Toy Story is pretty amazing. Yeah, They're definitely. All great. definitely. They're all great. But for me. Personally, the number one film, and this this is this has a lot of personal resonance. The Incredibles. Uh, you know, this seems really like an odd choice to be on this, real, I on mean, this list. I just again the soundtrack. It's just like awesome. Like blah blah. It did have a it's good soundtrack. I love like the I whole. I find it kind of odd that like your number one Disney movie is one that didn't come out 
when you're younger than 10. <laughs> well, I love the aesthetics okay. of it. It's like you watch the movie and it looks like a, a 50s comic book, like the cars That's and the buildings. That's true, yeah. yeah. I kind of like that part, aspect of it. Pixar did a really good you know, take on the whole superhero genre, and I can appreciate that. And it does have Samuel L. Jackson. That's true. What is a, um, a what's that line he says? That, uh, <laughs> I am your great... That, well, his wife Where is, is my super yeah. suit? <laughs> Um, if I could make a suggestion for something that should be on this list, uh, go ahead. The movie Up definitely should be on this no. list. I mean, okay. No. I realize it got a lot of awards and stuff, and everyone loved it and yeah, all but, that. And you can't write that off. But like, I mean, for me, it, it's just it wasn't. I mean, it was good and stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily put it, you know, uh, really, like really high on my list. That was honestly one of the most inspirational stories that Disney. Has I didn't ever get put the out. plot. Like the first five minutes were like. Great! I love the first five minutes. With well, the whole have you old seen man. that? There's that picture floating around that says, you know, uh, Disney managed to tell a greater yeah. love story in the first five minutes of Up than, than Twilight did in three movies right. or whatever. But it's like I watched the first five minutes and they were great, and then suddenly there was an old man in a house with a kid, and they were suddenly they were in the sky with balloons, and they're in South America, and then they're fighting dogs in a blimp, and I didn't understand what was going on, and I was like, what the heck is is going on? I didn't, I didn't get it. It seemed to me like Up was uh, Pixar was like avant-garde 1960s-ish like out of all their films that up would be that film I mean it was good though collection. it was pretty yeah, good yeah fantastic movie I didn't I wasn't I'll be an unrealistic at least number 7 <laughs> at least number okay, 7 I tell you really? what, I'll tell you what should have been on there was The Emperor's New Groove Yes. Why is Definitely that not on Definitely agree, no. agree. Really? Yes, really. Replace that, is, that with Pocahontas. That honestly. is one of the funniest movies. Replace Pocahontas. It was, I mean, yeah, it was good. But, uh, no, it was the, great. The TV show, they did a good job of that, too. I saw that. That made me, fla- la- that made me laugh as well. But really, the movie was Kronk. just... Ooh, Kronk's character. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty just good. Just like everything about that movie was hysterical. So, Any Absolutely. other suggestions? Uh, I would actually suggest put it in maybe uh, uh, one of the classic ones we have a name, like Pinocchio or... Yeah, or, uh, I, I used know. to watch Pinocchio as a kid. Those, I actually that... have to appreciate like maybe Beauty and the Beast. Maybe Pinocchio scared uh, me in... as a child. I know we're all guys here, so we're probably not going to vote for like I mean, Snow not... White or like Cinderella or, yeah. or all you that know, stuff. Once again, but... I actually never saw Beauty and the Beast. DeAndre again. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Or, or how about even Aladdin with Aladdin Robin Williams? I never yeah. saw Aladdin. 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 Mm. A little bit racist. Never. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about that part, <laughs> Dave. Dave, you, you said Aladdin's racist, Dave. A little bit there was i mean i don't i don't really see it that much no i mean aladdin's got some things if you were a grown-up i'd say go back and watch the disney movies you watch as a child and look for some of the things that you might have missed because there's some interesting things in some disney movies that uh aren't you know maybe politically correct well there's a lot of old disney cartoons are like that as well i mean that was you go back far enough and you can find cartoons of Donald Duck as a Nazi. I mean, they got some really bad stuff, so don't judge Aladdin too harshly, I don't think. Those were wartime cartoons. I remember those. Yeah, yeah. We, watched, we had a little VHS of those. Those are so cool. To you watch Donald Duck as a Nazi? Yeah. Right, it, well, that, it was, that makes it, it was okay. meant to like mobilize the nation against the Nazis and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that'd be like having Bugs Bunny dressed as like Al Qaeda or something. You, like you don't really. That's true. That. Actually, slow don't, down, true. crazy. You slow it down. Relating, do that. That's true. Relating it to nowadays it's does kind of make so, it a little weird. But yeah, you don't. You just you don't. I don't know. I just I enjoyed those cartoons anyway. The little Gremlins. Oh, that was that was a good VHS. <laughs> okay, well, we're getting off topic. Here. All right, so that was that was the top ten Disney movies according to Nick. According to Nick, this is no no IMDb, you know, nothing like that. It's just Nick. So, glad we have fun. (laughs) Here on campus, Greek life plays a prominent role. Tomorrow night is the second annual Kappa Step Off presented by Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. 
Here's Rebecca with the Stepmaster of Kappazai. Kappazai. My name's Rebecca, and you're listening to Eye on the Arts, where I tell you what's going on in the arts community every week. This week, I sat down with Kaz McQueen, Stepmaster of Kappa Alpha Psi, here on NC State's campus. The Kappa Psi chapter is presenting its second annual Kappa Step Off. The Kappas have invited women from the Panhellenic Association to create and perform a step at the Tally Student Center on NC State's campus. Tell me a little bit more about this event, the Step Off. How exactly did that originate at NC State? And um, give me some more details about what's going to actually happen. Well, we're holding the uh, Kappa Step Off. It's basically to inform NC State environment about how stepping originated. And uh, once again, this is the Kappa Zai chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And history of stepping spans back all the way to the 1940s and the 50s and uh, back in Africa. Conditions in the mines where, where people worked were bad and diseases were spreading. And it was because of the water in the mines were were raising up to uh, workers' knees, which was causing problems. So owners and workers came up with the idea of uh, working with boots. These boots were called gum boots. Workers were not allowed to talk while they were working, so this became a way of communicating, making noises with their boots, and also uh, the boots had bells on the boots, which also made a noise. This became almost like a Morse code communication. Um, Later became a way of making light of the situation while working. Eventually, uh, workers started performing for the owners after after the workday and eventually came to what we know as fraternities and sororities stepping. Rumored that the that Omega Psi Phi and Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated were the first black fraternities to originate stepping as of today. Stepping began as the frats would begin chanting or singing on the yard. And in the South, a step show was referred to as a sing. Quickly evolved to what frats began to do now in pro shows and probates. So as stepmaster for your fraternity, what is what exactly does that entail? What are your responsibilities? What do you do? My responsibility is to organize step practice, make sure things go well, come up with creative ideas. I would say I lead off the choreography, but as a team, we do come together as a unit and come up with ideas as well. Okay, so I also have Emily Stacks here. She is a participant of the Step Off, and she's actually the stepmaster for Delta Gamma Sorority, one of the sororities that's going to be performing at the Step Off on Wednesday night. So, Emily, um, tell me a little bit about organizing the Step for your group and how, how you know, the girls came together and have created this Step. And just tell me a little bit more about the process of doing this. Okay, well, last year, like Chaz said, was the first year... Um, they had the step off and Delta Yama did not participate. And this year we definitely wanted to participate. Um, it was just a matter of us figuring out where to start and kind of how do we do this? Cause it was all very new to us. We had no idea what to do. I guess with my role as the step master, we've all had to pull our weight though. It wasn't just me. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have too many ideas. So we pulled from like all our resources we could. Um, the Kappas have been really great in helping us out. We've used like other steps shows we have previously seen, like a lot of media to help us figure out what we're doing. Some girls are really great dancers. So it's really been like a huge team effort for all of us. Everyone has to pull their own weight and we all bring new ideas to the table, which is really what's making it work. Chaz, what were you hoping that the Kappa Step Off accomplishes here on NC State's campus? We were definitely thinking along the lines of inclusion and diversity. We wanted to bring together the whole campus and while also informing and uh, entertaining the campus as well. 
Okay, thank you very much. That was Chaz McQueen and Emily Stacks talking about the Kappa Step Off, which will be happening Wednesday, February 29th at Tally Student Center. My name is Rebecca. You've been listening to Eye on the Arts. Torture has often been a hot-button issue in American foreign policy over the past decade. DeAndre Jones recently sat down with a representative of NC Stop Torture now to discuss the state of torture in the world today. Hey guys, I'm DeAndre Jones and I'm in the studio currently with Christina Cowger, a professor here at NC State University. But more pertinent to the topic we're talking about now, a representative from NC Stop Torture Now. Christina, what is Stop Torture Now? North Carolina Stop Torture Now is a grassroots coalition made up of human rights, workers, concerned citizens basically from all over the state. We have members here in the Triangle. We have members in Guilford County, in Wilmington, in Asheville, all across the state. And the reason we came into being was that North Carolina is playing and has played a special role in the U.S. program of extraordinary rendition, which is essentially kidnapping for torture. My next question is, uh, does torture still happen in the world today? Torture still happens in the world today in many countries. And we're most concerned with the use by the United States of torture. Our focus is really on our government, our society. We think that's our responsibility as citizens. And although President Obama declared that the United States would no longer torture the very next day after he came into office... There are reports that indicate that people are still being tortured in U.S. custody in Afghanistan. And I think it's fairly clear that indefinite detention in Guantanamo Bay Detention Center without any hope of release can be considered torture. You mentioned that the United States is playing an active role in this torture. Exactly who in the United States is it? Is it the CIA or the FBI or some other offshoot organization? The best known program by the United States of secret detention and torture began shortly after 9-11. It was initiated under the Bush administration, particularly by Vice President Cheney. And what he called it was working the dark side. What the U.S. essentially did in the latter part of 2001 on up through about 2006 very intensively was sweep up hundreds of Muslim men in Europe Asia, the Middle East, and whether or not there was specific information linking them to terrorist activity, transport them secretly either to a third country jail, such as in Egypt, Syria, Morocco, Afghanistan, or in the case of so-called high-value detainees where they thought they had a link to al-Qaeda, take them to CIA secret prisons in Eastern Europe. And there, in any of those facilities, these men were held without knowledge of their families, without access to lawyers, with no access to the Red Cross, and without being charged with a crime. And they were interrogated using brutal techniques, waterboarding not being the worst, a lot of kinds of no-touch torture, psychological torture designed to break these people down and really to rob them of their personalities. And they were held indefinitely in these facilities without the knowledge of the world. How does the U.S. choose targets to be tortured, or who exactly is being captured and being affected by these tortures? Dozens of those who were rounded up, and here we're talking almost entirely about Muslim men from many countries of the world, 
Dozens of them were from Pakistan, and their only crime was to have run afoul of neighbors, acquaintances, who responded then to the U.S. offer of a bounty of a few dozen dollars and turned people in. And then those people were taken to detention facilities. And essentially, the purpose of the secret interrogations with people like that became see what they know, fish for information. There was no particular belief that they had committed a crime. Has the torture even been effective or has it drawn out any information that would be useful for the United States? Of course, members of the Bush administration argue that torture was effective in helping to unravel al-Qaeda. The reality is, though, people who actually know the business of interrogation, such as Matthew Alexander, who was a top U.S. interrogator in Iraq, have written extensively to argue that Actually, torture is ineffective, and it's not the way that we get our best intelligence. When Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan, former Bush officials said, well, it was our torture that led us to him. In fact, information that there was a courier who operated for Osama bin Laden came from high-value detainees, such as Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who were tortured but not the identity of the courier. The courier's identity was found out through good old-fashioned police work, the use of informants and observation in Pakistan. I know when I was in your seminar, I heard a lot of the question of if there is someone who is a big threat to the United States and we know that they have information, is it all right to torture them? And I know that you refer to it as the taking time bomb situation. Does the situation, is it realistic? Does it actually happen? Is there any justification to torture somebody? The so-called ticking time bomb scenario proposes that if we have a detainee who knows information that could save hundreds or thousands of lives, that we have a duty to torture that information out of him in order to save those people. This scenario in practice never really occurs. Even the so-called high-value detainees, the men who were rounded up by the United States, who certainly were members of al-Qaeda, such as Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, as soon as they were picked up, they stopped having the kind of intelligence that would lead us to further plots by the al-Qaeda network because, of course, al-Qaeda knowing of their capture would change its plans. So in practice, the information that's obtained under torture doesn't really pertain to real-life terror plans, which are immediately altered in order to take into account that someone has been captured. And that information is often riddled with falsehoods and misleading so-called facts that lead the interrogators on wild goose chases. And there's a famous case of a Libyan man, Sheikh al-Libi, who was tortured probably into insanity by U.S. forces and who supplied a lot of information that led the United States on a lot of false paths and did not lead to the capture of any important al-Qaeda operatives. From what you've said, it has become clear that a lot of these targets that we have chosen, we as in the U.S., has chosen to be brought in for torture are not high-value targets, are a common person, a common man. And I think that is becoming very clear that it's somewhat of a travesty that the United States is doing something so awful to an everyday human being. So my next question would be, how is your organization getting involved in trying to put a stop to this exactly? That's the big challenge that faces us as Americans. Now that we know that our government has engaged in a systematic program of torture, not just an occasional bad apple act, but uh, really a program designed to round up scores of people and torture them in secret. What can we do to try to deal with that fact? We're involved in a couple of ways. One is torture actually makes America less safe. 
because as has been acknowledged by even top commanders like General Petraeus of the U.S. military, the use of torture at Abu Ghraib and in Guantanamo has been maybe the number one recruiting tool for al-Qaeda and other terrorist networks. Hundreds and thousands of Muslim people have been so outraged against the United States for treating people in this manner that they have been willing to consider taking extreme actions against the U.S., against our soldiers, against our assets abroad, and against our population. So I think even if we'd prefer that we weren't involved with torture, we actually are because it's making us less safe. What we're trying to do is focus on North Carolina's particular role in this program because a CIA airline based in Smithfield, which is right here just outside the triangle in Johnston County, actually transported many, many of these detainees to secret detention and torture. And that CIA airline continues to operate in Johnston County. It's based at the Johnston County Airport, which is a publicly funded airport. For a time, it had a hangar in Kinston, which is also a publicly funded airport. And planes at those two airports were responsible for the flights to torture of dozens of people, including a lot of specific individuals whom we can name and whose cases we're familiar with. So we're we're bringing this information to our state officials as well as to federal and county officials. And we're saying, hey, look, it's time that we as a state acknowledge that we've supported and facilitated, even if we didn't mean to, acts of kidnapping and torture. Only by acknowledging it, by bringing it out into the open and examining it and gathering all the facts, can we really be accountable and recognize the damage that we have done. And only by recognizing that damage can we even begin to try to make amends for it. Thank you, Christina. We definitely appreciate you coming here and allowing our listeners to a new perspective on things uh, that are taking place in the world today. As always, if you have any sort of opinions or thoughts on the subject, comments on the Facebook or the Twitter, WKNC underscore EOT. Thank you. And for Eye on the Triangle, I'm DeAndre Jones with Christina Calgar in the studio. As spring break approaches, we've got plenty of reasons to celebrate. Here's Dave with our Holidays of the Week. Hello, this is Dave. Welcome to Holidays of the Week. Today is International Pancake Day, so grab a stack of flapjacks for dinner. Tomorrow is Leap Year Day and Bachelor's Day. Thursday is Pig Day and Witch Hysteria Day. Friday is Dr. Seuss Day and Dress in Blue Day. Saturday is International Sister Cities Day. And Raleigh's sister cities are Xiangyang, China, Compiègne, Compiègne, France, some, somewhere in France, Kingston-upon-Hull, UK, and Rostock, Germany. Sunday marks the beginning of the Iditarod, and it's also Do Something Day since it's March 4th. Get it? March 4th? Uh, Monday is Fun Facts About Names Day and Multiple Personalities Day. And that's all for tonight. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to celebrate your way through the week. Next, here's what's going on around who here's what's going on around campus with Dave. Hello, it's me again. Welcome to this week's community calendar. Tomorrow from seven to nine, there will be a panel discussion on diversity in the media in Witherspoon Student Center. The men's basketball team will be playing the University of Miami tomorrow night at nine at the RBC Center. The North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences is hosting a discussion on evolution with Dr. Richard Edward Green from 6 to 7.30 on Thursday. NC State's MBA alumni have organized a 5K run for March 3rd from 9 a.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. And the Witherspoon Student Cinema will be playing Mulan and the Muppets tomorrow night, but they will not be screening any films this weekend. For more information on any of these events, check out the calendar page at ncsu.edu. That'll do it for this week's community calendar. Thanks for listening, and have a good one.
Now for the answer to last week's riddle. The answer was the moon. It's been around for a million of years, but it's never older than one month. For this week's answer, we're looking for five separate ones. We are very little creatures. All of us have different features. One of us in glass is set. One of us you'll find in jet. Another you may see in tin, and a fourth is boxed within. If the fifth you should pursue, it could never fly from you. If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Well, that's all we have for now. We thank you for tuning in. Have a great spring break. And good night.